Super honored to be with you guys today. I'm so excited to be here. I don't know if you can tell. I'm really excited. This is awesome. I'm uh, excited to be here with you guys today. Um, so the last time we spoke, um, we talked about getting through life's difficulties and, you know, and um, I only have but one big idea anytime I preach. That's all I have, right? I just, because in my context, you, um, you, we don't carry well, the people in my church don't carry well multiple ideas. They can just carry like one big idea, right? So that's all we do, right? And so back then it was, um, uh, don't forget in the dark what uh, God taught you in the light. And it's on your, I'm sure your website and you can listen to that sermon. Today we're gonna talk about suffering. Not just going through the difficulties of life, not just going through um, hardships, but we're gonna talk about real suffering, the suffering that you and I go through. But before we get on that very upbeat and exciting subject, um, I, I do want to thank you. I, I see people in our community who go to detox, go to rehab. We have men in the men's home. Um, like when I think of the things that we have to do, when we're, whether we're feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, whether we're housing the homeless or sending to, the, to detox or rehab those who are addicted, uh, I think of your very generous contribution. You have been, if you give to Crossroads, you have given also, not only to the beautiful work of God that you're doing here, but you've also given to some really beautiful work in uh, downtown Brooklyn where, where God is moving in soup kitchens and food pantries and all sorts of things. So thank you so much for your gracious generosity. And with that, uh, I'm gonna move that a little bit away. So let's pray, is that okay? All right. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for your love, your love that pursues and draws, draws us to yourself. I pray God that as we are speaking together, that you would encourage those who are downcast, that you would draw to yourself the rebellious, that you would humble the proud, and that you would give new insight to those who don't want to have anything to do with you. Lord, speak deeply to our hearts. Speak to the family members who are going through great difficulty, those who are sick, who uh, feel like they're just getting worse and worse. Speak to the addicted in this community who are struggling with staying clean or sober, but feel like there's no hope left but to resign to the addiction. Speak to us, O oh God, so that you might be glorified in our hearts and celebrated in our lives. For we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're talking about suffering, and suffering is not uh, an easy subject to talk about. I've, um, I've had a few moments in my life where suffering has really made itself pretty plain. Um, I grew up with a uh, paranoid schizophrenic mom in an apartment that you would uh, that you would not live in, 
um, you would you would probably call it. Uh, we didn't. Uh, my mother didn't smoke crack there, but you would call it like a crack house. Like it was just hole in the window in the winter, no heat, no electricity. It was it was a rough going. Um, I I got um, into addiction and really hurt myself badly to the degree where at 17 years old I thought I probably should get some help. And if you're as arrogant and prideful as I am, you know that you had to go through. I don't know if anybody here has ever in the pursuit of something that will make them happy, said yes when you knew you should have said no. I don't know if anybody's done that, but I'd done that, and like it like cracked my soul. It was really bad. I've been in stolen cars. I've been, you know, uh, breaking and enterings, and this is all before my 13th birthday. And so um, I've, I, I've caused myself suffering. I've caused suffering in others, and, and I've experienced some suffering as I came into ministry, I, um, as God called us to this ministry, you have to understand that there's like, if you want to make the big bucks, don't go into homeless ministry, right? That's like not where the money's at, right? Be a lawyer, be a doctor, homeless ministry, not so good. And so um, uh, twice my family has become homeless, once for two years, in 2007 to 2009, and again, in 2012 to 13 for eight months. And so, could, right, could you imagine? Homeless while preaching to the homeless. Homeless while eating with the homeless. Homeless while cooking with the homeless. Homeless while showering with the homeless. And I have five kids, they're really precious to me. Um, Edwin, who's 27, to David, who's six. Um, and so, so I don't know everything there is to know about suffering. So, and forgive me if I don't treat your suffering with great, um, if I'm not honoring or if I'm silly, I don't want to do that. I know that your suffering is far greater than mine. And I can say that because that's just the way it is, right? Like my suffering is just greater than yours because it's my suffering, right? Like I feel my suffering. I can empathize with your suffering, but I don't feel your suffering. I feel my suffering. But here's the thing. I know that whenever I'm in any room, I'm talking to people who have been through suffering, who are presently suffering, or who will suffer. You could be suffering relationally. You could be suffering physically. You could be suffering um, uh, with a, uh, a dream that you had that uh, seemed all but lost. Um, you could be suffering with... Um, finances, you could be, it's a million ways you could be suffering. But having been around people who suffer, and having suffered myself, there are a few lessons that I've learned that I, I think the scriptures will teach us. So I'm going to be sharing with you just three verses, verse uh, 16, 17, and 18 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I want you, I want to encourage you to memorize these scriptures, because whether you're in suffering, or have suffered, or or will suffer, there is absolutely a point in your life where you're going to need to remember what God is teaching you. Today's big idea is simply this. Our suffering, use our, our Savior uses our suffering for good that we can't see. Our Savior uses your suffering and mine for good 
in this broken world and even maybe in our own lives that we can't see. Now, if you're any kind of reasonable person, you go, whoa, that's crazy. That's crazy. I mean, because we just heard that shots were fired in Texas twice and like mass shootings. And last year we had um, some shootings in Bed-Stuy that killed a bunch of people. And, and so you go, how could God possibly use that suffering? Well, I think that God clarifies um, that this is for the believer. So today I'm going to be speaking for the believer. But if you're here and you don't know Jesus, super glad you're here. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, the reason that this church exists in large part is to help you to see and wonder and fall in love with Jesus and with one another. And so we're going to be talking about that, but let me give you two defaults about suffering. There are two defaults in the human heart. Having suffered myself, this is what I go through, and I've noticed this in other people's lives. One is that when we suffer, there's two defaults in our hearts, and again, haven't done a great study, but I've seen this over and over again. One is that we get self-centered when we suffer. If you don't believe this, just next time you get a headache, next time you get like a migraine, if, I don't know if you've ever experienced that, you'd be shocked at how, right? So like what happens? A person walks in the room and they just turn on the light. It's like a normal thing. You walk in the room, they turn on the light. You're like, what are you doing? Shut that off. And you're like angry at them and upset with them. You know why? Because when you and I suffer, we get self-centered. In fact, in fact, some of you haven't been here and I don't know, I haven't been here either. But some of you haven't been here for a long time because while you were going through your suffering, the people in your small group or next to you didn't inquire about you and didn't love on you and didn't help you with your suffering. And the reason that they didn't help you with their suffering is because they, like you, were consumed with their own suffering. But when we suffer, we think we're the only ones. In fact, you might be here right now thinking, I, I'm going through such difficulty and nobody understands what's going on in my marriage. Nobody understands what's going on with my kids. Nobody understands what's going on with my body. And I'm telling you, if you just look next to you, I promise you, there's a person there who may be going through even more severe suffering than you're going through. Suffering makes us self-centered. When we suffer, we get self-centered as opposed to God-centered, as opposed to getting curious and going, God, won't you tell me why, why this is happening? Won't you explain to me that you're close? Won't you help me to understand that you have allowed this suffering to happen in my life for the benefit of maybe others in this broken world? That's possible. But suffering not only makes us self-centered, suffering makes us narrow now, in New York, one of the most offensive things that you can call somebody is like narrow-minded, right? Like it's like, no, nah, man, I'm open or woke or like, you know, whatever your deal is, right? Like you are, you are not narrow-minded. But the fact is, is that suffering makes us narrow. It's true. It's true. Here's what I mean when I say narrow. Suffering, suffering makes us think Here's a thought. If I cannot think of a good reason why God has allowed this suffering to happen in my life, 
then there therefore cannot be a good reason why this is happening in my life. In other words, if I can't think of it, then God can't think of it. See, suffering makes us narrow. Suffering makes us think that if, if our imagination can't imagine, can't wonder, can't think of a reason why we would be going through the suffering, then there can't be a good reason why we're going through the suffering. In fact, some of us who are not believers have used that very thinking as a slam dunk against Christianity. We've used it in a way that says, you know what, Christianity's not true, Christianity's not real, because look at this suffering, look at that suffering, look at the experiences in the world, look at the hungers and the starvations, look at the, and it's just like this huge subject, and you go, there's no way any good could come out of a tsunami, there's no way anything, any good could come out of a, 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 a mass shooting, there's no way anything like that could happen, because I can't think of anything good that can possibly happen, or that can possibly come from that and I think that God is just going to challenge us today with the scriptures. Now, you might be a, uh, a person who doesn't believe the scriptures and you go, that's no answer. I, just would just, I would just ask you not to stay narrow. I would just beg you to just be open-minded about what we're going to share today. It might be helpful. It really will. It really will. And so, we may get self-centered as opposed to God-centered, we get narrow as opposed to open-minded. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Hey, listen, I don't know about you, but when I was a little, little guy, and I'll come back to this story later, but I, I need to say, share this with you. When I was a little, little guy, um, uh, a grown man walked into the room that I was in, and he closed the door, locked and double-locked the door, and horrible things happened that day terrible things, soul-scarring things, like gender-questioning things that I had to wrestle with, sexuality identification stuff that I had to wrestle with for the rest of my life. Horrible, horrible stuff happened that day. And you go, wait, you, are, you, what, are you trying to say that that's good? Of course that's not good. That's awful. That's evil. That's terrible. That'll never be good. That was always a horrible moment. What I'm trying to say is that even that, God could use. Even the horrors of this world, God could possibly use for good. But sometimes it's good that I don't see. Sometimes it's good that I don't see. So we look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. I'll read the whole thing in context. I read the, uh, rather, I'll read the whole thing, and then we'll go back to it and just try to take it apart and see if we can learn from it and suffering. If you've shut me down, because we're talking about suffering and I've missed a, you know, and I've just been glib or anything like that, I just pray that you don't shut God's word down. He's, God is very thoughtful about this. The scripture says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. So let's look at the text. Therefore, the, 
in our church, I'm not just trying to preach. I'm trying to teach people how to read. And I don't just mean that because we have people who come from all sorts of different backgrounds and all sorts of stuff like that. I mean, like people just generally don't know how to read. I mean, you could have a college education and don't know how to read. Or read thoughtfully, I should say. So when you see a therefore in the scriptures, you ask yourself, why is it there? Right? What's the therefore? Therefore. And so Paul has just been speaking about um, for 15 verses about the suffering that he has gone through. He's been beaten. There, he talks about being pressed beyond his ability to bear, but not crushed. He talks about being persecuted, you know, being maligned and threatened and persecuted by those in authority. Not abandoned. He talks about being struck down. He means that physically. But he's not destroyed. Therefore, so he goes through all this suffering that you and I may never understand and may never know. He goes, therefore, since that's happened and that's true, that you and I will come at moments in life where we will suffer. Well, we will find ourselves relapsing in old behavior after old behavior. Where we'll find ourselves suffering with an illness and a sickness that we did not think we would have. A marriage that feels more painful than we can bear. Therefore, since suffering is real, since it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or a non-Christian, doesn't matter if you're an atheist or a believer, it doesn't matter. Suffering, that's the equalizer. Every one of us will experience that. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly, we're wasting away. Now think about that for a moment. We don't lose heart. In other words, we don't get crushed over it. We don't. Why? How could you say something like that? Because I really do lose heart when I'm in circumstances, when my marriage is not going well, when my kids are deviating from God's word, when I see people hurting themselves and my friends going in the wrong direction. I sometimes, I sometimes can lose heart. So what do we do with that? Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away. Though what I just said in the 15 verses before this are true. Though you're going through the nightmare that you're going through. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away. Now, this is true, by the way, not only in our suffering. This is true about like you do understand you're wasting away, right? Everybody understands here we're wasting away. I cannot, I, I am not what I was when I was 25, right? I'm wasting away. It took me an extra few minutes in front of the mirror because I wanted to hide from you my wasting away with pushing my hair in different, this is not because I like this hairstyle. This is because I'm trying to, sh to make everybody believe I still have a full head of hair. And before all of y'all ladies laugh, right? Come on, can we talk? All right? You go to, right? You go through aisles where you go, wait, 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 wait what, what will take away the gray hair? What color, you know, what color do I want to be in today, right? Right? 
You do that, right? Why? Because you want to cover up the fact that you're wasting away. We're all wasting away. Not just in our suffering. This whole world is broken. And we're all wasting away. It's true. And there's no avoiding it. Though outwardly, we're wasting away. Yet inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. Now, I want to say, the, I want to say something that might, while it's true, it might, it's still kind of offensive. And let me tell you what I mean. The first half of this sentence, though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. The first half of that sentence is true for everybody. The second half is not. The first half of the sentence is true for everyone in this room and everyone within the sound of my voice. The second half is not. Though outwardly we're wasting away, true for everyone, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. That's for Christ followers. That's for people who pursue Jesus. That's for those who have made him Lord and Savior and God and King and joy and satisfaction and rest. That's for those people. But those that Jesus is just like, I don't know, Jesus is just something that's added to your life, but not the center of your life. I mean, not everybody. Listen, if you're here in a, in a service like this, we all come for different reasons, right? All right, if you're young, you might come because your parents told you. If you're older and your wife's here or your husband's here and they're real committed, you come because they come. Or, or maybe somebody in the office said, hey, come, you know, what are you doing on Sunday? And you thought they were going to invite you to the beach. And they were like, you were like, nothing. I'm, I'm, I'm all open. What do you want to do? And you're like, oh, come to church. And it's like, um, okay, I guess I got to go because, like, you know, I don't know why you're here. I don't know. We all come from different reasons, but those who are pursuing Jesus day by day are being renewed, and those who are not, are not. If you're wondering whether Christianity is for you or not, that might be something to consider, because so far the Bible has been true in everything that we've just said. Everybody suffers. Everybody goes through it. If it hasn't happened for you, it will. Though outwardly we're wasting away, nobody disagrees with that. Yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. There's a sec second thing you need to see in that sentence, and, the, and that's that we're renewed day by day. Those of you who come from recovery backgrounds, you have this phrase, this saying, it's one day at a time. One day at a time. And the reason we say it is because we, we, we want to stay sober. We want to stay clean one day at a time. Hey, just for today. Just for today. That's what we say in 12-step circles. In Christ, it's a day-by-day -day renewal. And you might not even like that. You might think, yo, God, this is crazy. There's a better way to do this. You could, you could renew me so that I'm like topped off for the rest of my life. Can we not do that? Can we not do that plan? And you know he can, because when he comes again, that's exactly what he says. I'm never going to sin in heaven. 
I'm going to be like renewed to the max. So why can't we like rush the process? Why can't we like, you know, kind of do it a little bit early? And God would simply say, that's, that's not what I've ordained. All right, well, you're the boss. But then that means for me and you, listen to me, no matter where this sermon hits, no matter how good the songs are, listen to me. Today's revival will never help tomorrow's hurts. Like the, the wonder that you experience with Jesus, like you, can, you know how like you can't get nourished today on yesterday's meal? Yeah, you can't get sustained on yesterday's, sanct on yesterday's sanctification. It's not the way it's been made. So that daily, day by day, we are to go to God and have him refresh us, renew us, encourage us, strengthen us for the little sufferings that happen in life, for the little setbacks, for the little disappointments. And as he does that, he grows us so that we might be able to endure the great setbacks, discouragements, and hurts. And then it goes on to say in verse 17, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far, far outweighs them all. Think about that sentence. For our light, there's a, there's a contrast here. There's the light and momentary, and then there's the eternal and weighty. Light and momentary. Here's the thing. One of the things that is very difficult for me is to deal with people who are speaking glibly about my suffering. I don't know if you have that problem too. Like when people go, you know, to me and I'm suffering and they go, oh, don't worry. This won't last forever. I just want to punch them in the face. I don't know what you want to do. I want to kick them down a flight of stairs. Okay? I just, uh, case in point, um, I'm, my son... My son, who's six years old, who I love more than I love myself, um, one day running around in a park five, six hours is the, is the picture of health and energy and all that other stuff. The next day, I'm not kidding, this happened a few weeks ago, he's throwing up blood. Blood is not supposed to be in your digestive tract. Blood is not supposed to be in your stomach. What's, what's he throwing up blood for? He goes into the hospital and goes through a battery of tests. Your hemoglobin, first time I ever heard of that, Hemoglobin is like the cell, it's in, I, correct me if I'm wrong, right? Um, I think it's like the cell in your blood that carries oxygen, something like that. If I'm, if I'm wrong, who cares? Hemoglobin, right? The, the point is, the point is, is that he goes in and his hemoglobin is at normal. The bottom end of normal is 12. The top end of normal is 15. He goes in with a 9. Now, at 7.5, you're supposed to get a blood transfusion, at four, you're liable to have cardiac arrest. Like if your hemoglobin is at four, you might have you know, a heart attack. Like you, it might not go well for you, right? After two days, my son went from nine to five, and nobody can figure it out. And nobody can. 
Nobody understands why this perfectly healthy boy who's not exhibiting any other symptoms other than the fact that his energy is depleting because he's internally bleeding, nobody can figure out why this is happening. Now, in moments like that, it's difficult for me. Look at me, look at me. I love Jesus. In moments like that, it's difficult for me to receive glib encouragements. And I feel like that when I read the first half of this sentence. It feels glib. In verse 17, it says, for our light and momentary troubles. And I go, whoa, 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 papi, easy. What do you mean light and momentary? Because in that moment, it's weighty and eternal. Like that moment lasts forever. We had to, like, you know, it was it was sleeplessness and staying at the thing and never leaving his room and not taking a shower and not eating because we were, I was trying to be in solidarity with him because he couldn't eat, so I wouldn't eat, that kind of thing. And trying to help the doctors, uh, you know, uh, do you remember anything else? Well, he ate a peanut at the park and, you know, like, we don't know what's going on. It doesn't feel light. It doesn't feel momentary. It feels like it's going to last forever. It feels like it's breaking every part of my heart. And yet God says, for our light and momentary troubles. Why would God say that they're light and momentary? I think, I think it has to do with the second half of that sir, um, sentence. It says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us, and we're going to go back to that word achieving, just I want you to see something, are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. They're achieving for us something that far outweighs them all. When I look at that sentence and I meditate on the sentence, the only thing that I can think of is, anybody here like a parent Anybody here a parent? Maybe one or two of you, right? There's a few of you here. Okay, good. So if you're a parent, if you're not a parent, you'll just have to imagine with me. Well, there you go. If you're here and you're um, a parent, here's what you have to think about. If you think about like losing your kid, have you ever lost your kid? If you've never lost your kid, I pray you never do. It is a terrifying moment when you lose a kid. And like you really are convinced in that moment, oh my God, they're gone. Like, when you have that moment, that is a striking and terrible moment. And the emotion of that moment is only, is only outdone by the emotion that you feel when you find the kid. So when you lose the kid, there's no, nobody can speak reasonably. Nobody can go, calm down, calm down. It's the worst thing you could say to a mom. You get a, you get a purse to the face if you say that to a mom, right? Like, it, it, it's a bad moment. Don't do that, right? Okay, no, it's no time to calm down. This is the perfect time to lose my mind, right? I think, I think what God is showing us is something like that. I think that when we see Jesus, that all the tears and all the hurt and all the pain will be overwhelmed by the joy and even the understanding. We will know even as we are known. And you go, I don't believe that. I get it. If I'm going through the suffering that you're going through, I get that. I'm just telling you, listen to me. Beloved, we're going to have to move beyond our feelings 
to the truth of God's word if it's going to have an impact. Even now, you're thinking of all the suffering or maybe thinking of the kind of suffering that you've gone through that you go, this is no way. Listen to me. Remember our big idea. Our Savior uses our suffering for good that you can't see. And he says so in verse 17. Don't you see that word? That our trouble is what? It's achieving something. It's doing. It's producing something. It's not meaningless. The suffering that I went through as a small child was not meaningless. It was producing something. It was evil. It was bad. I'm not saying that it was in any way good. It was a, it was a product of the fall. It was horrible. It broke me in ways that I can't even fully understand myself. But I'm telling you, even though that's true, it's achieving for me something God is, our Savior is using our suffering for good that I don't fully see. I can't tell you that, well, let me finish this because we're, we're almost done. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. See, the problem is, is that our eyes are fixed. This is the reason why we fight and we wrestle with these kinds of scriptures when we're thoughtful about them because we go, oh, no, no, no. We go, but what about this? And what about Lucy? And what about Carmen? And what about what happened with Josie? And, and we go, what? It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. And the Bible's not telling us to, like, ignore or act like it doesn't exist. That's not at all what the Bible's saying. The Bible is saying is that there's a focus. And it's not on what is seen. It's one on it's one on. What is unseen? And you go, but you know, you know what the nature on focusing on something that's unseen? You know what the, the fundamental problem with that is? You can't see it. You can't see it. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal God is producing something. So I go back to what, what happened, and, and I'm telling you, question my sexuality for years still comes up. It's not something I'm, I'm over. Gender, sexuality, all that stuff. Over the breaking. But then there are moments, and I can't tell you how many times this has happened. Has it happened 10 times? Has it happened 1,000 times? It's happened a lot. A woman will come to my office and she will tell me of her terrible story of being sexually abused and wounded and hurt. And I can cry with her and go, you too? Me too. When a guy comes into my, into my office and goes, I've never told anybody this. And it's just like, you know, because like you can't share this stuff because if you're a guy, it just comes against all of you. Especially if you, right, like if you're, if you're a native of Brooklyn or you grew up, I don't know about the rest of the, but I know that it's like, a, it's like a sign of weakness or you can't ever share. You go to the grave with stuff like this. And they come into my office and they can't even allow themselves tears. They can't even allow themselves the... Uh, the the moment of weeping and mourning their innocence. 
And as they cry, I go, you too? Me too. And we get to, we get to go together to Jesus and ask God to change the desires that were so poured into us at such a young age. Change the wounds and the heartaches and the hurts. And you go, but I don't see, I'm telling you, I'm not sure I see it either. I'm telling you, it's unseen, but I know that I get glimpses every now and then of God using. I, I might have shared this, it's my favorite um, illustration of this. I have a friend, um, he started the church with me and, and the, the team is going to come up as we close. And um, the worship team is going to come up as we close. And so he's, his name is Ray, and we started the church that, you know, and we've planted other churches, et cetera. And he prayed every day that his boppy would come home. He just wanted his boppy home. And after praying for years, he came to the conclusion that God wanted nothing to do with him because God did not hear his prayers and God did not give him the most fundamental prayer that a little boy could pray that his dad would come home. And so he thought God wanted nothing to do with him and therefore he led a life of debauchery and all sorts of terrible things that he's done. Then one day, he's an adult, he's talking to his sister, he's sharing with her the beauty and the wonder of Christ. And then he just mentions, you know, because she's talking about like, you know, something like about not being uh, favored by God or, or God wants nothing to do with her too. And he goes, you know, I used to think that. And, and then he tells her this story about I used to pray that Papi would come home and Papi didn't come home and, and all that. And she said, what? You used to pray that Papi would come home? I prayed that Papi would never come home because there were things that happened in that home that were awful. And in order for God to protect the young girl, he had to allow the suffering and the abandonment of a young boy. You see, does that explain everything? No, I'm not trying to explain everything. Does that answer all your questions? Of course not. I'm just trying to give you a glimpse that perhaps the suffering that you and I go through Maybe it's bigger. And maybe, maybe it's achieving something, producing something. It's not meaningless. It's producing something in us. That will far outweigh them all. Our Savior uses our suffering for good that we many times do not get to see. And so, if you're here, and you're suffering, I'm going to ask you to stand in just like a minute or so. I'm going to ask you to stand so that I could pray for you. And there might be one of you or there might be a hundred of you or I don't know, but in just a minute I'll ask you to stand if you're suffering. I want you to know it's not meaningless. It's not meaningless. It's not for nothing. And we know that we can believe these words are true because there was a moment, listen to me, there was a moment in history where God allowed the most meaningless murder to take place. God came himself, was born in a manger, 
was accused of nonsense, was tortured and crucified. And everyone who saw it said, this is just meaningless. How could God get any glory from this? How could this have any good? How could any good come out of this? And God used one of the most, God used most, the worst moment in history. Not that the murder of Christ was good, but that God used it for good. For the very people who are sitting in this room, and if God could do that with the most senseless murder in the history of the world, he can do that with your suffering. And so, it's not meaningless. And so what I want you to do is that if you're suffering, two things I want you to do. Number one, I want you to reflect on past suffering that doesn't have as much emotional uh, grip on you. And I want you to run it through the grid of 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. And just go, God, what could you be doing? And then secondly, as you experience suffering tomorrow, and little sufferings like are late for the job appointment that you thought you were gonna get or whatever, the interview. I want you to, I want you to be reminded it's not meaningless. Our Savior uses our suffering for good that we can't see. So, if you're suffering, I wanna pray for you. Maybe it's your marriage, maybe it's with your kids, maybe it's your health, maybe it's your finances, maybe it's stuff that I haven't mentioned or don't even know. I would encourage you, if you're suffering, I want to pray for you. Would you stand if you're experiencing suffering? moment to remind them that not only is it not for nothing, but that you're achieving something glorious and weighty. God, I pray that whether the suffering has been self-inflicted or inflicted by others, whether it's physical or psychological, relational or financial, that whatever it is, that you would remind them that you're in the midst of that and that you're with them and that you're for them and that the suffering doesn't mean that you hate them, but in fact, it's the opposite. That you're producing something weighty and glorious in and through their lives. Help us, oh God, to see our suffering in that light. Help us to run to you. Help us to find our rest in Jesus. For we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to have communion now as Kyle comes up and does that. But I just want you to know, if, if you're here, 
pray for each other. Ask Jesus to use you even in the midst of someone else's suffering, even if you don't know what to do. And trust him that even in the midst of your suffering, he's producing this because, listen, our Savior uses our suffering for good.